You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. As a follow-up to last episode, I wanted to explore another group that's providing higher-level government representation, inter-organization networking, and helpful resources and problem-solving tools. It's something we've spoken about before on the podcast, but there's so many ways that groups can work together. One of the big goals of this podcast is to connect organizations together. Now, here in Canada, we have a federal election on Monday, October 21st. So I thought it would be fitting if we squeeze in a little Canadian content and speak with Imba Canada. To those Canadians out there, here's your gentle reminder to get out and vote on Monday. Those of you not eligible to vote in Canada, I'm confident you'll like this episode nonetheless. I think the work that Imba Canada is doing can be replicated or mimicked elsewhere. And we finished off our conversation with the introduction of perhaps one of the bigger global topics we've ever discussed on the podcast, climate change. We'll be using this conversation as a springboard to ask ourselves, what role do we play as mountain bike trail advocates in addressing climate change? Now, as always, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 69 of Frontlines. I'm joined by three guests today. The first, returning guest, Jay Darby. He's the field program coordinator for IMBA Canada and the chair of the IMBA Canada BC Council. Hey, Jay, welcome back to the show. Hello, Brent. It's always great to be here. And next, we've got AJ Strawson. He's the executive director of IMBA Canada. Hey, AJ, thanks for joining us. Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me on. And we are also joined by Dean Campbell. He's a board member of IMBA Canada and founding board member of the Ontario Council. Hey, Dean, welcome to the show. Hi, Brent. Thanks for having us. So I'd like to begin with with just a, a little bit of um, what IMBA Canada is. And, and AJ, maybe you can speak to this best. Are you able to tell us what IMBA Canada and, and perhaps their connection with IMBA US is uh, or, or isn't? Of course. IMBA Canada was formed a little over 15 years ago to be Canada's national voice for mountain biking advocacy at, uh, at both the national and the provincial levels. We were originally founded to be a self-sustaining entity uh, from IMBA, IMBA USA. And because of that, we've been developing our own relationships with corporate supporters and individual members across Canada to fulfill our mission. And our mission has recently changed to ensure that Canada is home to a strong and vibrant mountain biking community, riding a world-class network of mountain bike trails. And for any of your listeners, uh, they may notice that that is different from our counterparts in the States. Uh, we do have a, a completely independent board and we make completely separate advocacy decisions. Uh, that being said, we do have an ongoing relationship with IMBA USA um, and we're discussing ways that we can move forward together. Uh, as there's both new leadership or relatively new leadership, I guess, in IMBA Canada and new leadership south of the border, uh, there's the opportunity for us to uh, build a little bit of a relationship together. Here's a, a question that perhaps you can you can speak to, but why why create uh, an IMBA Canada and not the Canadian Mountain Bike Association? You know, why kind of take that that IMBA name? Well, 
Emba was originally formed by people who, by Mark, uh, Mark Schmidt and Laura Wilner, who previously to forming Emba Canada worked as the trail care crew in the United States. And as such, they developed a really close relationship with staff at the Emba office at the time. And they decided as Canadians that they wanted to form their own branch of Imba. And Imba at the time was focused on getting representation worldwide to put the I in Imba, as it were, and having branches in each major area was part of that initiative. So today we have uh, Imba Europe as well that's functioning. There's Imba Argentina um, and among a few others. So really to answer your question is it's a holdover from uh, how we were formed uh, back in the day. Yeah, I know personally I can I, I can always see uh, the response that that we get when I'm working with my local trail association from land managers when we we kind of use that that Imba name, so it's definitely appreciated to kind of have that uh, that that designation as Imba Canada for for uh, for locally working with uh, with land managers here, which is always nice. Yeah, we find that there's significant weight, especially when you go outside the mountain bike community, because the relationship has been built over time, it's trusted, and it's easier to open up new conversations or new opportunities with it. So Canada is a, a, a very large country, you know, multiple provinces, and each province is, is a little bit unique. And so relatively recently, Imba Canada created this council model. And so they've got provincial councils um, that can focus on a slightly smaller area uh, based on on provinces. When and where did this program begin? This program began slightly before my time uh, rejoining in Canada a couple of years ago, and it formed as a result of some strategic development that took place with uh, a, a board member who was previously on the board, and he's no longer there now, but. Um, strategic planning was his background. And what was identified at the time is while we represent mountain bikers at the national level, many of the most common problems that everyone faces happen at the provincial level. Many of our, our landowners, our land managers, all have uh, provincial focus rather than national focus because it's BC Parks, Ontario Parks, uh, rather than some national land manager for example, like our counterparts would have in the United States with the BLM. So we needed a way to categorize and solve those common problems. And in order to do so, we had to hear from people. And so that's where the council idea began, as we would reach out to people in their communities to find out what are those problems and how can we solve them. Yeah, and, and now I'm I'm most familiar with the the BC Council, obviously. And what does that council look like? Uh, who's who's a part of it? Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps Jay, you can you can speak to this a little bit. Yeah, for sure, Brent. So in its current extant state, the BC Council is essentially a ad hoc working group of advocates throughout the province with experience in their region, representing the goals and kind of wishes and wants of their individual region. When it was designed, the idea was to pick the regions that coincided with the tourism regions throughout the provinces. It's an easier way the government's used to working uh, in that way provincially. And, and it allowed us to have some coordination with the uh, industry that we associate with through mountain biking. There's lots of tourism development around mountain bike trails and, and trail recreation. 
the idea was to put this working group together and develop strategies and undertake um, individual consultation with clubs within each region and try and determine uh, policy uh, planning, policy engagement we could do at the provincial level with with the government or or regionally with regional governments to try and kind of further the goals of, of mountain bike clubs as well as meet their need for representation in a, in a collective way where they were seeing the same issues and how can we address these issues uh, and try and, you know, make it easier for clubs to either navigate provincial bureaucracy or make it easier to undertake their efforts to develop trail networks or build their mountain bike community through some coordinated um, coordinated advocacy through developing a, a program of, of, of provincial advocacy in the end. The board members that are on this BC Council, do they all kind of have a similar background? Like, are we talking about people that are, are local board members of, of their local trail associations or do they come from within the, the bike industry? Do they vary uh, from region to region? How does, it, uh, how does the makeup of the, the actual council uh, look like? Currently, the BC Council is made up of individuals who have fairly long-standing relationships with advocacy. Um, when it's an original incarnation, uh, a couple of years ago when it was formed, the council had uh, representatives that were came from uh, industry, from uh, business in mountain biking, shop owners, that kind of thing, or, or long-standing uh, professional riders or, or uh, high-level uh, uh, high athletes. And slowly it's navigated towards being more a group of, of advocates, individuals who have, whether it's strong ties to their region or strong ties to advocacy provincially or nationally, and who have the ability to communicate with, with advocacy groups throughout their region in a knowledgeable way. It was kind of organically developed over time to, to being this, this working group of, of strong advocates who have skill sets as well as knowledge to pass on to clubs in their area. Now, recently, the Ontario Council has been created. And so, Dean, how similar or, or perhaps is, is there any differences between the Ontario Council, the makeup of the Ontario Council and the BC Council? Uh, well, in getting the Ontario Council set up, I spent time speaking with, with Jay and with a couple other members of the BC Council to understand what their priorities had been and what they'd learned through through the founding of that group. And so tried to take as much as I could from that. And our founding group has been representative from a whole bunch of different perspectives. So we have a bike shop owner, Andy Cox, who is in a hydrocut region west of Toronto, Johnny Yeaman's a longtime advocate. Uh, Laura Woolner, who um, is former executive director of Imba Canada, brings a whole pile of knowledge, and we're really happy to have her involved. Got Troy Storms, who works for North Bay Matawa Conservation Authority. He's not a mountain biker, but he definitely helps bring that uh, land manager perspective to the table. Charlotte Batty, who's on the Imba Canada board as well, uh, is a certified instructor and guide and um, brings a lot of a lot of helpful perspective on what new riders to the sport might be dealing with as they come into the sport. So a lot of us on the on the council have been involved in the sport for a long time, and I wanted to make sure we had perspectives that, that brought in that new rider perspective too. Awesome. Are we going to see this model uh, roll out to every province uh, at a certain point? Like, is this something that, uh, that we expect uh, every, every province and perhaps even territory in, in Canada to have? We need a way to solve the challenges that mountain bike communities are facing across Canada. And 
currently it makes sense to collectively target those issues in the areas that we have the most number of mountain bikers. There may be opportunities for regional councils to form. Uh, for example, many of the challenges that are faced in Atlantic Canada or in the north are all very similar. And it may be beneficial for a council to form in eastern Canada that that targets some of their common problems rather than, and instead of creating a multitude of councils that might become administratively challenging to to run, uh, we can we can bound or we can collect all those people together and form form a council. But really, what the key is for the council program is that we are hearing from and listening to the concerns and challenges that each of the individual clubs have. This program doesn't exist just to have more representation; it exists to solve a problem and problems that are uh, problems that are defined by people in those communities. So, for example, we wanted to form an Atlantic Canada Council. We could do that, but if there were significant challenges in finding a unified or common thread among all of the Canadian provinces in, in, the, in, in Atlantic Canada, um, you know, we wouldn't be pushing that. So, really, it depends on what we hear from the advocacy community when we begin the process of stakeholder engagement. And that process can take uh, quite a bit of time and a fair bit of effort as as Dean has experienced uh, because we need to kind of come onto the same page. Everybody needs to share their thoughts and and to to get to that common space takes a lot of work. And so maybe uh, maybe we do end up with individual councils in each province. I, I think that that's probably unlikely, but uh, in the end, we don't really know because we haven't yet heard directly from each of the advocacy communities, each of the clubs, particular for the council program in, in each province yet. So we'll see what the future holds as we continue to find common problems and solve them for clubs. We may be opening up new councils that are broad. Maybe that maybe they're not so broad. Maybe they're focused on each province. Go ahead, Dean. I think one of the things we've come across in in the Ontario region is we have, and I and I suspect this is experienced in other provinces as well. We have conversations around clubs that are, for lack of better terminology, more mature, and clubs that are less mature. And by that, I mean we have some really long-standing, well-established clubs with really strong. Uh, relationships with their local land managers. I'm thinking of the Ottawa Mountain Bike Association or DMBA in Durham Forest, the Hydrocut guys I mentioned earlier in Kitchener-Waterloo, or Gorba and Guelph, not too far away. Uh, but we also have new clubs starting up in the on- Ontario area, and the challenges that those clubs face are different. So part of what we're trying to build in, in the Ontario Council is a bit of a mentorship program where some of these members of more mature clubs can help those younger clubs start up and deal with those initial challenges that that the more mature clubs have been through. Meanwhile, we at the national level can listen into the challenges being faced um, by these larger clubs and figure out how we can help them find solutions because it's a different set of problems that, that are being faced there. So uh, it's it's been really interesting. And, and, and to AJ's point, it really helps us start to understand better what um, clubs with diff- what challenges are being faced by different kinds of clubs and, and how Imba Canada can help support that. That's great to hear. I mean, it's, um, 
it's always good to kind of see these these organizations that are doing quite well kind of just putting a little bit of of time and and energy into into making sure that their neighbors are are strong as well i think you know we as mountain bikers all succeed together and 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 we all kind of fail together at the same time so it's it's good to see that what i'm hearing from from all three of you is is you know this council program uh, that Imba Canada has sounds incredibly flexible and and is is evolving heavily you know it it sounds like BC council has has evolved over the years from from trying to have representation from industry and and all of the place to becoming focused on on advocacy and 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 having various regions you know it sounds like the Ontario council is is kind of taking it and making it what it will um you know AJ it sounds like Imba Canada isn't isn't even you know fixed on this being a provincial thing right which is which is fantastic so it's great to kind of hear how how flexible this is and how much you know things will kind of ebb and flow and, and change if they need to which is great i think that's a, a key component of the bc council program has been the in its existence has been responding to needs and just seeing where we can fill in gaps you know clubs are busy they're overtaxed they're often underfunded and and, and over capacity clubs across the country are always experiencing knowledge gaps or personnel changes whether it's the volunteer level not enough trail builders not enough board members not enough membership in general and so it's it's you know finding ways that we can make the smaller advocacy groups jobs easier and finding you know solutions to their problems in other clubs so so that knowledge sharing piece to me has been super important currently the representation on the BC council is individuals as i said who have fairly long standing histories in advocacy they've got a lot of knowledge but even they're out there learning from other clubs sharing that knowledge ad- addressing issues that clubs in their region have through asking other council members or friends at clubs in other parts of the province and taking those lessons that have been learned and transferring them to to other situations or to new clubs throughout the regions. I think that, you know, that's an important part of, of, of this like kind of organic way that we've developed is that we're really just trying to respond to needs, not trying to create further administration or further bureaucracy. It's all about trying to just make everybody's lives easier through coordinated advocacy, as well as offering a way to communicate provincially with each other and and kind of offloading some of that those tasks from from clubs where they're trying to reach out and find this knowledge as we're proactively trying to engage this this knowledge distribution. You know, it's a key been a key component of the BC Council. And I think as these types of you know relationships are built across the country, we unveil other councils. I think we'll find that that becomes you know the biggest one of the biggest benefits will just be this like entity that's able to disseminate knowledge and 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 even encourage it. You know, in some instances, you know, all that council members have had to do is connect individuals between two clubs who didn't even know they were experiencing the same problems, and they go out and find a solution on their own, and we take that back and give it to somebody else. It's you know, it's really been. I think an important piece and something that we'll continue to see evolve how that happens and, and how, and the benefits that has to the community. I think one of the, one of the takeaways for me is that some of our biggest successes this year wouldn't have been possible, but for the connections that we made through the BC council and to echo Jay, I'm really excited to hear more from all of our constituents 
through the council programs. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic to hear. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and uh, Jay uh, and AJ, you were both at the the tourism symposium. Uh, it was two weeks ago, and uh, and I stopped by for a little bit as well. And and Jay and I actually had a chance to kind of switch roles a little bit. So Jay hosted a, a, a panel discussion, and uh, and I got to sit on the panel, which was always uh, it was it was interesting and, and fun to be on the other side of uh, of kind of the the questions. And one of the things that that Jay brought up, and and something that kind of was discussed on on that panel was what's the 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 biggest issue that kind of happens outside of of our little mountain bike bubble and and so we certainly have all these little problems that that we kind of share and all these all these kind of hurdles that we we try to address but outside of that um what's the single biggest issue that that kind of affects us and and it got us down this path of of discussing climate change and and I wanted to kind of just end today by by just kind of having a a, a little discussion about climate change and and Perhaps whether or not we as as mountain bikers and and we as mountain bike advocates and and trail advocates can kind of play a role in in doing something to address climate change. I think that there's a there's a component of being a steward when when we talk about being a mountain bike advocacy organization. We often think of of the word stewardship or stewardship in general because we're we're being stewards of the places that we ride our bikes. We're taking care of the environment. We're rehabilitating trails that are eroding. And that core sense of stewardship, I think, extends to realms that are beyond simply the trails that we ride. And, And I think there's a lot of opportunity to explore how we can be part of the solution and, and maybe it revolves around having more conversations with other organizations to see what those easy partnerships are. For example, I met with the executive director of Protect Our Winters Canada, and we explored a few options that we're still going to be moving forward on, but they're, they're just getting started too. They're very new in, in Canada. And uh, another thing that has been brought up that relates to that is how how do our trail networks integrate into active transportation networks and that was something that was discussed as part of uh, Canada adopting a national cycling strategy that would inform the the blurry divide between recreating on a mountain bike on a pathway to commuting by bike there's uh, there's a gray area there, and certainly with e-bikes, a, a ton of opportunity to capture to capture a whole group of people who are using trails or using recreation corridors or pathways in ways that um, uh, maybe we're not building for. We're not planning for bike lanes that end at single track and single track that connect to bike lanes. And I think that that's something we we certainly should be thinking about as we also deal with the likely changing impacts from from climate change in general. Then those are impacts that we'll see on our trails and in our communities that I'm sure we'll have to respond to. To echo AJ's points, I believe strongly that, you know, he's he's hitting the, the nail on the head proverbially that as much as you don't want climate change to be an opportunity um, in this instance, you know, I think it kind of is to have that bigger discussion for 
clubs to begin to garner support from a broader base of the public and from municipalities and from other advocacy organizations that, you know, cycling is an important activity and mountain biking is cycling. It takes you in the wilderness. It exposes you to nature. There's mental health benefits to that. There's obviously physical health benefits to being active outdoors. And, you know, we need to start looking at this as a bigger picture of creating these as AJ said, you know, active transportation corridors that connect to near community outdoor recreation opportunities. Uh, you know, some instances, perhaps it's pathways that lead to double track that allow you to then go hiking, having bike racks at trailheads for individuals that may not be able to mountain bike on the trails, but want to cycle out to them and then be able to go hiking or bird watching or whatever their chosen way to experience the wilderness is. I think that, that mountain biking can help bridge some of the gaps in recreation in coordinated advocacy because we have this vehicle with which we experience the wilderness. It's also able to provide us transportation through the urban infrastructure, you know, and as much as it is hard to tell clubs to look at another um, advocacy angle and, and to, to do more work, you know, I think there's people out there that are doing that work already that would be happy to discuss these things with mountain bike clubs and coordinate efforts, whether it's provincially, regionally, nationally, or even locally. Um, in my former role as the president of the Mountain Bikers of the Central Okanagan in Kelowna, this was a discussion we had regularly with the city. It was one of the ways we got into City Hall through the Parks Department, uh, dealing with infrastructure development at the, at the city level, was having these conversations about active transportation and connecting it to the trail networks that we were maintaining on provincial land base that the city's unable to uh, provide support for in some instances, but they are able to build greenway connectors, to build active transportation connectors. And it was a way for us to achieve similar goals through different means, as well as gain support for the things we were doing because it was coordinated with the things that the city had as goals and wants and needs. Um, and, you know, I'm, yeah, I say I don't, like to say climate change is an opportunity, but in this instance, perhaps it is for us to have a greater impact and to garner more support and to build greater partnerships with other other uh, advocacy groups working in this arena, for sure. And I think it's a conversation we need to have culturally as mountain bikers, whether or not we should be traveling as much as we do, you know, do we, is this a way for us to talk with land managers and ask for trails that meet the demands locally? So you know, we don't have as much uh, regional or provincial or national travel to go mountain biking. Do we build the trails we need where we need them to meet the demands of that community so that community doesn't have to leave their locale to experience the trails they want to experience? You know, that's a whole nother conversation. I think one of the opportunities that exists as well is a chance to really build community and collaborate beyond existing mountain bike communities. Um, I, I think most of us who ride mountain bikes are probably doing other things at different times of the year or, or as a result of changing families or what what have you. And uh, there's huge opportunities to recognize that building stewardship in an individual means hopefully that that person feels a sense of stewardship, not just for mountain bike trails or for hiking trails, depending on what their, their primary hobby is, but can see the bigger picture. And if we do that and we, we can build those stewards, that gets seen. We know that mountain bike clubs that are active and take stewardship roles have gotten, have become recognized for that uh, in various communities. And I think hopefully that that helps inspire more collaboration with other users. We've seen that 
you know, with equestrian use and hikers and in various regions. And uh, all of us want to be able to go outside and, and enjoy these spaces. And hopefully by, by developing this, this uh, stewardship ethic, we can unify people beyond just our, our existing mountain bike clubs and mountain bike communities. Yeah, it's, that's really well said. And, and I, uh, I just want to thank everybody for, for not only taking the time to, to chat with me today, but, um, but to share the, the IMBA council program and, and also kind of help get us, um, down a, a path of conversation that, that, uh, the next few episodes I'm, I'm hopeful we'll kind of tackle a little bit. I've got, uh, a couple of discussions that, uh, that are coming up on, um, working with other groups and, and working with cycling advocacy organizations and, uh, and thinking about, you know, trails more local. And, um, and I think, you know, we're in here in Canada, we're, we're about to see a federal election. Um, in fact, on, on, uh, Monday after this episode is, is released and, uh, and one of the big topics and, and perhaps the biggest topic and, and the mo- biggest discussion points in this, this federal election in Canada is climate change. And I think, uh, I think it, it would be great for us to, to make sure that, uh, as mountain bikers, we're not just sticking to our, our little bubble. I'm confident that we're not, but, um, but sometimes it's always good to make sure that that's, uh, that's clear. Victor, thank you for having us, Brent. And it was awesome to put you in the hot seat at that panel discussion. So, <laughs> so definitely thanks for uh, participating in that and, and providing insight into what clubs across the country, across the continent and across the world are doing and, and, and helping, you know, provide that information to the, those in attendance at the Mount Bike Tourism Symposium. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely very interesting to be in that position. And I, I, I found myself at one point questioning whether, whether we should be traveling very much. And then I, I kind of realized that, uh, I was sitting at a tourism symposium questioning the, the validity of, of flying. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, but the, the discussion was, was received and, and, and the discussion was had there, which was really interesting. Well, thanks for including us in the discussion today, Brent. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dean. Yeah, thanks very much, Brent. It's uh, great to be finally on the podcast. I know I've listened to it quite a bit, and it's been helpful to get me thinking about lots of different opportunities and avenues for IMBA Canada. And I invite your listeners, Canadian or otherwise, to uh, reach out and share their thoughts on anything that we're doing. Uh, We are made stronger by many ideas, and it'd be great to hear from you. Awesome. I'll be sure to include links in the show notes to uh, to Imba Canada and and all of the organizations discussed today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Sure, thank you. Big thanks to all of my guests today, Jay, AJ, and Dean. In the show notes, you'll find a link to the Imba Canada BC Council and some of the work that they're doing. The HydroCut and the Imba Canada Ontario Council are hosting the HydroCut Trails Symposium October 25th to 27th in Kitchener, Ontario. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to the Imba Canada website for more details on this event, including a complete list of speakers. And if you're looking for similar events near you, visit the events page on frontlinesmtb.com. And if you want your event to be listed, then send me an email or message. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at frontlinesmtb.com. You can also join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB, and you can send me an email or audio file to info at frontlinesmtb.com. Next episode, we'll be discussing skills parks with the Minneapolis Bike Park Project. You can stream the show on Mountain Bike Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and very recently on Spotify. Big thanks to Brett Russ for helping me make that happen. 
A reminder, if you haven't done so already, leave a review on wherever you get the show. It really helps others find the podcast. And don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes. This podcast does not happen without financial support. Support for things like replacing the microphone that stopped working during my last episode. So if you're a longtime listener, consider supporting the show. Every little bit helps. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brandon Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And big thanks to Ben Wellneck and the team at Mountain Bike Radio for their continued support. And once again, for all the Canadians listening right now, Monday is Election Day. So not only get out and vote, but also get your friends and family out there voting too. Finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.